0: Everybody, my name is Michael Kaiser, and I'm John Wilson. And welcome to a, another sub-series of Make Our's Marvel that we like to call Not Comics.
1: This is the third Not Comics special, where instead of talking about a brand new release, we decided to use this month with no new Marvel movies to go back in time and talk about an older film relevant to our content on the show. And that film is going to be The Fantastic Four. Yay!
0: Not that old. But
1: Yeah, old. well, there are three options. When I say the Fantastic Four, there are three different films I could be talking about. But we will be talking about the most recent one. Yes, that one. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, I recently had an Opposing Views discussion about another film, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, with a good podcasting friend of mine. And we thought it'd be good to bring him on for this since um, he and I are tit not as sharply on this film, I'll admit, but we do tend to be opposing views on this film as well Um, and that is from Bureau42.com famous for his unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast Mr. Blaine Dowler
2: Thanks for having me on, guys.
1: Welcome, Blaine Yeah, welcome. I don't think I've ever had you on my show before No, no, this is a first Wow I say my, it's 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 Mike's and mine, but you know it's like I well, I I
2: haven't had him either.
1: Yeah, yeah, you haven't either.
2: This this is the first time I have been a guest on a show in which you are a regular.
1: Wow. Okay. Well, cool. (laughs) I'm glad. I'm happy. You've had me on any number of episodes. (laughs) This is great. (laughs) Um, So, Mike Blaine, we watched Fantastic Four. Mm
2: -hmm. We did. Sometimes more than one Fantastic Four.
0: So, now, how, how many times have you guys seen this before having to watch it for this uh, episode? Because for me, this is my first and only time ever seen this movie. Uh,
2: for me, this prep for this podcast was my second viewing following the opening theatrical release. Oh, okay. I was there yeah, opening matinee. It.
1: Yeah, I saw it on the, in the uh-huh. theaters when it first hit with my daughter, um, and then I haven't seen it since then. Okay.
0: So, So for you two, any, uh, well, why don't you say like, what was your initial reaction? Did it change for the second viewing? Maybe
2: my reaction, I, I found on the, the second viewing, I became a little more moderate, but both Mm -hmm. viewings, I found it ultimately unsatisfying. I just found it less unsatisfying this time around. So we have one con ish.
1: Um, I came out of the first viewing, really liking the first act, the origin story Mm -hmm. being kind of middling on the middle part and really hating the superhero (laughs) showdown at the end. All
0: right. Um, So we can't really put you in a corner anywhere, huh?
1: And I did moderate my opinions on the second and third act a little bit. Uh, Now that I kind of knew where the story was going and was able to see the (laughs) shape of it coming in, I, I, I changed a bit, but, but Mike, this is your first time to see this film. What did you think?
0: Um, yeah, so I have read yours and other people's opinion that, like, you know, the first half is good or the first quarter is good or just sort of tanks at the end. I personally found it consistent all the way through and did not like any of it, really. No. Any at all? I mean, no. I like the last 15 seconds, actually, quite a bit. but, but in, in, the, in,
1: in the new bunker, the Central City Bunker?
0: yeah that part was like wow why didn't they just do that for 99 minutes and i know it was 99 minutes because i kept looking to see how much longer it was but uh
2: (laughs) yeah that's never a good sign there there is a classic horror movie that people swear up and down is the pinnacle of the genre and for me a sign that i don't care for that genre at all is my record between checking the clock was 150 seconds what What, was that movie night of the living dead Oh, I've never seen that.
1: Oh, yeah. I tried to watch that, too, like two or three years ago. No, I did not like it.
2: Yeah, Maybe you had to be there. Yeah, two and a half minutes was the longest I could go between checking the clock. If you want to give that a try, Michael, it is in the public domain, so you can legally download and watch it for free because of a clerical error. They didn't file the copyright properly, so the copyright is indefensible. It's not good to know. Yeah, they actually flat out forgot to put the copyright notice in the credits. Well, based on that review, I'll definitely be running out to go see
0: that.
1: <laughs> well, it's, it's it's Romero's first zombie film. It's supposed to be uh, like yeah. the movie.
0: Yeah, but I don't, I don't I'm not really into horror that much either, so I guess that's probably why I haven't seen it. But
2: yeah, there, there are great horror movies. I think Shaun of the Dead is the only zombie movie I've seen that comes close. Love Shaun of the Dead. Love
0: Zombieland. Um yeah, so I guess I like the comedy zombie movies. Okay. I haven't seen my favorite Walking, Land, so
1: my favorite zombie movie is The Walking Dead comic book series, so you know.
0: Oh yeah, well there's that too. Um yeah.
1: But um okay, well let's 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 get into this. Um so overall, uh it sounds maybe that Mike is our least enjoyed and Blaine enjoyed some parts of it and I probably came out on top. Um uh, I am notoriously easy to please. So um that's what that she said. part of why that. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> but, um... Well, you know, again,
0: I only have the one viewing, so maybe, like you guys, if I saw it again, knowing what I was getting into, I'd open my brain up a little bit about it. But
1: now, I
0: kind of went in feeling a little negative to begin with, so that's probably not fair. You're trying to go with an open mind, but everybody said how much they hated this
2: movie, so it's kind of hard to be, you know bright eyed <laughs> and optimistic about it I guess it, it, it is but yeah. I, I find I worked at a theater for three years and I find the way people react to a movie depends a lot on what their expectations are so if you're mm-hmm. expecting something terrible sometimes yeah. something that's not terrible but just bad feels a lot better than it is because it exceeds your incredibly low expectations
0: oh, that's true so too yeah, it
2: could go either way I guess yeah I think it's somewhat telling that you you were expecting terrible and still didn't enjoy it. But again, my second viewing, I think I think a big part of the issue is that, um, like we, we said, I'm not a huge fan of horror. And mm-hmm. this is leaning much more heavily on the body horror potential that Fantastic Four has than the superhero potential.
1: When that gets into kind of my overall takeaway of this film is that on paper, this film is the monster horror story of the first issue of the Fantastic Four and then you take away the superhero adventure trappings of that genre and tell a different kind of story with it mm-hmm. so it's there's there's a lot that you could say about the Fantastic Four as a concept the, especially in its early, uh, early issues that is true in this film in just a completely different manifestation I guess is the best word <coughs> Um, but let's uh let's let's talk about now it's no secret to those who've seen the film that the at least the first act, the origin story, is very heavily inspired by Ultimate Fantastic Four's take on the origin story. Uh now Blaine, you said you mm-hmm. read that and the Doom issues as well, right?
2: Uh yeah. Preparing for this, I watched Trank's Fantastic Four. I watched both of Tim Story's films. I read the first twelve issues of Ultimate Fantastic Four. I watched uh, Chronicle, which is the movie Trank directed before this that I'd never seen before, but this is what got him the job. And then this morning I watched uh, what I still consider to be the best Fantastic Four movie ever made, namely Pixar's The Incredibles. Caveat, I have not seen the recently released sequel, and so the first may drop into second place when I see that. I don't know how to rank Incredibles 2, but yeah, so far I'd say the first Incredibles is the best Fantastic Four movie we've had.
0: Okay, so first of all, can I just say that you've prepared more for this show than either John or myself has ever prepared for the show? So, how about we just both shut up and let you tell us what this movie's about?
2: Okay. Well, yeah, this is—you normally start by summarizing the topic without having it in front of you, right? Um, mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So, Ian, well, well, hold on, Mike. Uh, did you did you read *Ultimate Fantastic Four too? Uh, or
0: did you have a not chance? for this show, but I have.
1: Okay, and I'm so hoping you're with I can you just you remember it. it. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. you're yeah. Okay. All right. So, I definitely
0: um, I definitely could feel some uh, you know, references watching the movie, of course. Oh yeah.
2: They, if you're familiar with that story, there's absolutely no question that that's where this was drawing from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and
1: I actually read it after the viewing, and I was able to say, "Oh, they pulled that line. Oh, they pulled that exchange with a slight modification." I mean, <laughs> they they're very much it's and some of its beat by beat
2: Yeah, I actually also reread the first 12 issues of this like the day or two before seeing the film in theaters because there were enough visuals and there was enough information in the trailer for someone who'd already read it to go, oh, that's where it's coming from. Right. So I had done that at the time too. Uh, So plot summary of this one, it opens with a young Reed Richards and Ben Grimm who are aware of each other in the same class but aren't really friends yet during science projects Reed is called up by one of the worst kinds of teachers a person can have, very much you no know, you think inside my box, don't think inside your box kind of teacher. And Reed talks about what he's doing like the flying car project he's worked on and how his goal in life is to be the first person to teleport. And his teacher basically says, "No, you're going to have to do this assignment again and pick something that's actually going to happen." And then it, you know, cuts to later we find out Reed actually has built a teleporter in his garage. He and Ben become friends when they meet in the Grimm family junkyard because Ben's Grimm Ben Grimm's family is a big part of this including his abusive brother who says it's clobbering time before he beats up on Ben even <laughs> though his mom chews him out for it and Rita and Ben become friends when Ben realizes hey he's actually teleporting stuff they're not sure where they're sending it all they know is you know it's a sandy place so they're thinking probably like the Sahara or Gobi Desert or something um, skip ahead a few years until they're high school students and what appear to be the only high school students and otherwise a middle school or junior high science fair, like they are years older than any other contestants and they're teleporting stuff. And it just so happens that people from the the Baxter foundation, namely Franklin storm and his adopted daughter Sue are there and see that. Yeah, they are teleporting stuff, but they've actually figured out where it's teleporting to and it's an alternate dimension. So even though Reed and bend in the project together, only read gets invited back to the think tank where he meets victor von doom and johnny storm who's the semi-delinquent child and adopted brother of sue but really good at building stuff he could build anything vic is a computer programmer although not the hacker he was originally supposed to be but we could talk about that later um they get everything working they're ready to teleport and they're told oh no nasa astronauts are going not you guys even though that's what you expected Um, so Victor gets them drunk Sue is not there as far as we could tell she's a pattern recognition person whose sole purpose is to make their outfits the encounter suits (laughs) Um, yes Doom gets them drunk and so Doom and Reed decide and Johnny are going to teleport to the other side but Reed decides no I promised Ben he'd be with me so he calls Ben and they sneak Ben in in the middle of the night past this incredibly high government security by Reed showing up and saying no he's with me (laughs) Uh, They teleport through, which causes a massive power drain, which Sue figures out and gets close enough that when there's problems on the other side and massive explosions and energy surges and Doom gets left behind and the other three come back, some of the energy leaks out and Sue gets affected by it by nobody other than Sue and the four who go across to. Although up to this point, it's done. But I, I actually should back up a bit to say that at this point, the movie has already achieved its goals. They teleported to the other side. They snuck in the middle of the night. It's successful. That is their stated goal to be the first to do it. They have succeeded. So the movie could end there. It doesn't. Because even though Ben's saying, "Uh, you know what? Let's come back with proper instruments to check this out more thoroughly. And he lets all the drunk people say, no, no, no. Let's check it out now. And that's when they get problems and come back with powers. Um, So Doom doesn't come back. They believe he is lost forever. They all get powers. Um, Ben is the most exposed to it. He initially thinks he's buried under rock and it takes a while before they realize no he has become rock johnny can light himself on fire Uh, reed can stretch sue can turn invisible but when they come back they're unconscious they wake up essentially in captivity reed keeps saying what happened to my friends where are they and instead of actually giving him a straight answer they just dope him with stuff so you know he thinks these people must not be up to any good they're not cooperating and starts to escape initially to help Ben because he hears Ben crying for help, sees what's happened to Ben, and just escapes completely. So the whole second act of the film is the Baxter Foundation and the government trying to figure out what happened to the three people they still have while Reed is doing his own thing in South America. The thing becomes basically a government secret weapon who's being dropped behind enemy lines and fighting for the government with so many confirmed kills. Johnny is training because he wants a similar role so that he can help people and fight the good fight in the military. Whereas Sue is saying, no, this is a disease. We just need to cure. Uh, they get outfits. Most of them are in counter suits that help them contain and control their powers. Reed builds a very similar one on his own. And he's doing it. And part of the way he's hiding is by like reshaping his face as a, a means of sort of distraction. Not quite makeup, but just restretching the proportions of his face to look like someone completely different. And uh, Sue eventually finds his pattern in the data that she's looking at. So Ben gets sent to bring him back and knocks out the stretchy guy by hitting him really hard. Not quite sure how that works. And they decide, no, the only way to really cure this, now that they got read back on their side, is to go through again and get actual samples from the other side. Because it has taken them months and months and months to think of this with some of the smartest people on the planet. Uh... <laughs> so they, they get there, and there's another person there. And at first they're wondering, who could this be? Even though as far as they're concerned, there's only one human it could be. It turns out it is Victor Von Doom, who is now more crazy than he was before. Uh, he comes back with them. And when he wakes up, he says, yeah, you know what? Uh, that's my home. That helped me. That kept me alive. Earth is so messed up. We just need to wipe it out. So in a bit of a deus ex machina, he sets up the, the failure in the machine that they were talking about before that would have led to the creation of a black hole and destruction of the earth. He goes through to his side and then before powerful people go to the other side, they take him on -on one-on-one and Doom is kicking all their butts just as he did on this side before going back. He has all sorts of just mental powers he could walk through and make people's heads explode and yet doesn't when he's fighting these four. He only saves that treatment for other people. (laughs) And they get to the other side. Fighting him one-on-one doesn't work. So Reed, who they don't trust because he ran away from them for 18 months and they had to basically strong arm into helping them, says, no, 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 we can do this together and starts giving orders. And for some reason, all the people who hate him just do what he says anyway, even though up to this point, Ben and Johnny have turned to sue more than anyone else for leadership. Um, But they do what he says. And this time when the thing hits Doom, it hurts instead of not hurting like it did all the other times. And Doom gets sucked into his own black hole and he dies and it all goes back to normal. And then they come back to Earth and say, yeah, you know what? We're not going to follow government rules anymore. We're going to do our own thing. We just need an unlimited budget. And the government says, yeah, okay. And gives it to them. And they go to a building that is called Central City to reference the early Fantastic Four comics, even though the facility is not even remotely close to being a city. And they decide that they need names because, you know, there's four of them and they have powers. And They're, they're throwing names out and... Yeah, Ben says something's fantastic, and Reed says, yeah, that's it. We're the Fantastic Four. And, yeah, then that's pretty much the end of it. They've decided that, yes, they are a team.
1: He says Mm -hmm. it through a title card. He's like, yeah, we're the...
2: Yeah, and it goes to Fantastic Four. This is even before that when he's saying, we need a a name because we're a team. And Ben's going, we are? And I was in the audience going, they are? But,
0: yeah. (laughs) (sighs) Uh, Yep. So anyway, this was a fun episode. Um.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it's, well, there, there are some things that, I mean, uh, there's some I things that, get, that, I mean, we'll let, I definitely want to hear from you, John, because I know there's there's a lot, at least in the first act, that you have enjoyed. Yeah, I think we enjoyed. could
1: start with at least a, a, a character discussion, like, like yep. go down to each of the main characters one by one at, as sort of a starting point. Um, yeah,
2: I, I also, before we really get into it, I do want to say a lot of people didn't like this movie, and they're blaming Josh Trank for it online. And um, while well, there's certainly a piece of it, who, having now watched Chronicle, the tone—he's oh, the director, yeah—the yeah—the tone of Chronicle is virtually identical to the tone of this film. So the the producers at Fox saw Chronicle and hired him because that's who they wanted on their next Fantastic Four movie. And they originally hired him for this and for uh, Star Wars Rogue One, but his incredibly unprofessional conduct during the filming of this movie caused him to get fired, and other people came in and did the entire final act without him. We can get into his conduct later if we want. Oh wow! But it was see,
0: I didn't even know any of that. That's how much research I put into this. Oh well, yeah. One of
1: the cool things about podcasting with Blaine is he has a great mind for a lot of the details of production and creation of things. So, so Blaine, I'm glad you're here to help. Yeah, kind of flesh I, it up. Th- this no, was. I would
0: imag- I would imagine in terms of tone that most uh, tone in movies is already figured out ahead of time or at least the intention of what they want no one's surprised by tone so everybody's upset that this was a dark movie because of this director it was probably a dark movie they
2: all wanted
1: yeah at least the studios wanted it yeah it was almost like when
2: when schumacher was brought in for the batman movies warner brothers let tim burton go and then Mm -hmm. the warner brothers execs came to schumacher and said yeah we want to kind of continue in that vein but the first two movies didn't sell a lot of toys so we want it To have uh, brighter colors with greater contrast, we want to have more characters, we want to have more vehicles, we want to have more costumes for Batman and Robin, and we want it to be funnier so it's used to a younger audience. Are you our guy? And Schumacher said yes. So Schumacher is not the reason those last two Batman movies don't satisfy a lot of fans. Schumacher is the reason that that implementation of ideas are as good as they are and not much, much worse.
0: And you could, argue,
2: you could argue what successful is in that case, because I'm sure he made a lot of money yeah.
0: for a lot of people, uh, including including getting tickets for me on both of those
2: films. So, yeah, Batman Forever you know, was largely what's successful. Success mean? Batman and Robin, we could do a whole other podcast on, because that's one where – I see what was greenlit on paper, because it's filled with elements that should have worked, but it did not work the way they put it together.
0: Or it worked <laughs> the best. That's what I would argue, but that's a different podcast, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so um, – the the f- the main character the focal point character of this film and arguably the chief of the protagonists is reed richards
2: mm-hmm.
1: um we don't have an older reed in fact all of the characters are uh, aged down to the end of adolescence young adulthood um and so we have as um uh, I think it was Bendis and Miller together on Ultimate Fantastic Four's concepts.
2: Uh, for the first six issues, it was Bendis and Miller. And then the actual Dr. Doom issues, seven and past 12. I forget how far past 12. It was written by Warren Ellis.
1: Warren Ellis. Okay, so yeah. So Bendis, and Miller, as, as they came up with, you know, he's he's the, the nerdy guy. He's picked on in school for being so smart. He's completely misunderstood by his parents for being so smart. Um, and really his only... Um, ability or or avenue for happiness and success in life is whenever the Baxter building recruits him to come and work for them Um, now in the comics this happens when he's young and he spends several years there before all this happens in the movie time passes a little bit differently and uh, it seems that they get recruited and the next Tuesday they're doing this, this this trip so um but yeah, what did y'all think about Reed? As far as what you like about Reed in the comics, the standard six one six comics, versus what we got in Reed here, um, Mike, why don't you why don't you start us off?
0: Well, I you know I'm not super familiar with Ultimate Fantastic Four. Like to me, when you say Mister Fantastic, I think about the guy we're reading, right? Um, so comparing him, comparing that guy to this movie is, of course, yeah. almost unrecognizable. So, you know, the things you like about Reed is he's like, you know, kind of an older guy and a more distinguished guy and he's an intelligent guy and he's the dumbest smart guy on the planet kind of Mm -hmm. Uh, always obsessed about his own work and introverted and uh, uh, he'll save the day in the end. But usually uh, is kind of either ignorant or or blatantly uh, painfully obtuse about obvious things that normal people notice. Um, this guy in the movie isn't really any of those things, uh, other than intelligent, obviously that's his one big defining characteristic is he seems to be intelligent. I don't know like what other personality he really has. Um, he's not particularly hilarious. He's not, uh, you know, they don't really do a whole lot with any love interest. I mean, there's a little bit. There's just yeah, enough with Sue to just,
1: say that there's something with Sue. Yeah,
0: like she touches your shoulder in the end, and at one point he asks her if she likes if she's into music or something. But that could just be conversation, you know.
1: Does um, so that make yeah,
0: Victor jealous? Is, well, sure, but that seems pretty easy. <laughs> um, I bet Johnny has made Victor jealous. But anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. He just seems kind of devoid of any sort of character that I, now that I'm sitting here trying to describe him. Um, and it doesn't help that I don't really like that actor either. Uh, which is kind of unfair. But at the same time, is it any more or less unfair to like an actor and go to his movies just because of charisma? So it's the same thing. You know, you can also have negative feelings about an actor. Uh, and he's just always been the kind of guy who makes me kind of just want to punch him in the face. So it's hard to like, maybe because he picks those roles. I don't know. I just didn't really gel with him. And I didn't really find anything about him
2: that screamed Reed Richards to me other than he was smart, I guess.
1: What'd you think Blaine?
2: I had a lot of the same reaction where he was, you know, high IQ, but not quite as high as the 616 Read to the point that even his high school science teacher was writing him off and doesn't realize that, yeah, this kid probably did make a flying car. Mm-hmm. He I didn't see any of the, the sort of Indiana Jones adventurer, let's get out there. I mean, if this was the, the Lee Kirby Reed Richards, he wouldn't have needed Victor Von Doom to get him drunk to do the teleportation. He'd have been the, okay, they're back searching. Let's go right now. <laughs> right. He, yeah, he, yeah, he, the mad, the mad scientist, yes, yeah, and he'd have been inviting Sue to come along, not leaving her behind, which is a,
1: she did get remarkably sidelined in this film, and we, we can come back to when we talk about her. I didn't yeah. realize it as much on first viewing as I did on this time through, yeah, but that's um, I,
2: I had issues with not just with the way this read was written, but with Miles Teller. I, I didn't actively like or dislike him before this film. I don't think I could place him in any other film. So, if I've seen him, he didn't leave an impression anywhere else? Uh, Divergent He's in, the, in that jazz drummer movie, essentially. Okay. Yeah, the
1: Divergent movies for, for teens and... I don't even know about the jazz drummer movie.
0: Yeah, c- oh, come on. I That was like... I'm, I can't remember what it's called, but that was like this big movie.
2: Whiplash, maybe? Yeah, there you go. Whiplash. Okay, yeah. I've, yeah he I've, was never in never that. that. I, I haven't seen those, so... Okay. So, if I have seen him, I think it was a smaller part that left no impression, but I found that he... He didn't really, f- like. he was phoning a lot of it in. Even when he's you know giving the rousing orders in the speech, I didn't mm-hmm. feel like he was into it. And I'm wondering how much of that was because of what was going on on set. Because if you watch the bonus features, um, I didn't watch them this time, but they released a lot of them around the time the DVDs came out. And you could see early in the production when Trank was still acting fairly professional on set, there was a lot of interaction between them. They were working together and plotting story. And then going through the bonus features, as you th- see things that were filmed later and later, and Trank was showing up late to the sets, drunk and/or stoned more and more often, it's getting less and less interactive. So instead of being two very involved people in the conversation when Trank is giving direction, Teller was standing with his back to Trank and a totally neutral expression. He was. Hmm. I mean, one of the things Josh Trank asked for in his contract and demanded to do this was. To have Fox build him a $350,000 beach home so he could walk to the set from the beach home they built him. Well, that seems fair. And his drunken stupors ended up doing $150,000 damage to that home during the course of production. Damn. So, I mean, on the one hand, they were both unprofessional there. Like Teller seemed to disengage from the film because of what was going on during filming. Trank was so clearly unprofessional he was fired from the rest of this and from Star Wars Rogue One. So, you know, both unprofessional, but from what I'm hearing of what's going on set, I have more sympathy for Teller's unprofessionalism than Trank's unprofessionalism.
1: Yeah. I um, I
0: seem
2: to recall Teller also dissing this movie in interviews, but I could totally be wrong about that. He was dissing it a bit. Um, The guy who played Victor Von Doom talked about interviews where um, Von Doom wasn't going to be part of the group. He was going to be a blogger who snuck in and convinced Uh them that, no, he was going to go with them. Well that and, sounds worse, so Yeah, and when that came out there's a lot of negative reaction to that interview, and Fox said, No, 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 he most spoke, that's not what's happening, and then reshot those scenes in the reshoots. And I went mm-hmm. back to the original interview which I'd read, and they said he misspoke, because you can misspoke or misspeak a word or two or you know, a couple of keywords that threw off a sentence or two. But this was a text based interview and he would have misspoke in like three paragraphs worth of typing. <laughs> So, I don't buy Fox's explanation. I do believe they said, yeah, they realized that this was not a good idea and decided to just fix it in reshoots, which is fair. I mean, from what I hear, that's the right decision. But yeah, that was it. So, I, of these characters, um, I could see a bit of the comic book Sue and Sue Storm, a bit of the comic book Johnny. And this is this version of Ben Grimm is. Fairly close to the Ben Grimm of the first few issues, where he it was nowhere close to coming to terms with what he's become. So I, I could see some of that in here, especially since the comic book Ben Grimm, not the Ultimate one, but the I guess even the Ultimate one to a lesser degree. But they were both military veterans, right? The the six one six Ben Grimm fought in World War Two alongside Reed. They they signed up together and somehow got stationed together. Mm-hmm. So there, there's so what what did you think of Reed? John?
1: Um, As far as comparing to the 616 read, I always thought that the ultimate take was a really good way of taking that concept and you... Euthanizing it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a homophone for that, right? (laughs) Yes. um, Making it younger. uh, How would Reed have been, you know, if he had had access... To today's world as a teenager, you know, mm-hmm. it, it seems like that's a pretty good take. Um, so, you know, in just the contest of ultimate versus regular, read, I've always been a fan of the ultimate, not at the regular expense. Just like you know, this is a different take, and I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as as far as Teller, um, and, and as far as what the script did with that, I I liked it when I saw it. Um, I feel like he's bookish, you know, but he's, he's confident when he's in his element. I didn't think that they did enough to bring out what in his home life would motivate him to completely leave and go off to a school. There was just yeah. a little bit of, of, um, yelling in his house whenever he blew the power for the whole, you know, block. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I like that. He had the idea behind everything. Um, and, and, so much of this this movie is me comparing it to the comic because it is, at least for the first half, so directly related to that. But um, his relationship with, with Victor was a little bit weird because in, in a lot of places, Victor was right and just being an ass about it. And Reed was along for the ride. In other places, Victor was wrong, but it didn't really involve Reed. And the one place where they did have a, a, a clash was on the subject of Sue but he only had we'd only had like one flirtatious scene with Sue. There's the mm-hmm. one where he's stumbling over talking to her because they've just met. And then there's mm-hmm. the other one where they're actually, you know, get to know each other a little bit and they're laughing. And that's like their one personal moment in the entire film. Yeah, um And, and they so, just cut that
0: off with with like, Hey, you're being unprofessional. Well, actually we're done. Bye, I'm gonna take a nap. So Yeah. Which <laughs> she had said nowhere. he could go
1: do, so you know, he he can go take a nap, but he was talking to a girl, and, you know, she's pretty. So yeah, she, but my point being that there.
0: confrontation didn't go anywhere.
1: Yeah. So, so
0: there's no um, hatred between them, other than jealousy, I guess.
1: Right. Yeah, and
2: I think that's part of it, is getting the reaction that strong just makes the character seem petty, mm-hmm. because they were just, like, taking the first baby step in that direction, and Victor's like, oh, I can't have this. Yeah. Now, I mean, Victor is petty to a degree, but this is... Having rewatched yeah, all of, of- these... I think one of the problems that not just this Fantastic Four movie, but um, that both the Tim Story movies have as well, is that even like in the second Tim Story film, I think that's the one that got the characters the closest to the comics for the, the actual FF themselves. They've all lacked a really strong, compelling villain. And mm-hmm. that's part of the issue here. This is not... Yeah, I mean, this is not a doom. This is not someone who would make Professor Allen stand up and go, no, he is the hero of the story. So it's
0: funny you say that because the books that John and I are reading right now, I I would say for myself, I don't know if he thinks the same thing, probably does, I would guess, that the FF is the book of our month, all right? Every month, it's pretty much the one that Stan and Jack are pouring their heart and soul into. It's the greatest comic magazine in the world, blah, 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 right? But – so far, lately especially, the plots have been pretty craziness and the villains are like the puppet master or mm-hmm. uh, the thinker or weird, weird powers that don't seem to have any rules that make any sense that we can grasp onto. to. <laughs> and yet we still love the book because of the personalities. Mm -hmm. And all the downtime scenes where they're just, you know, ribbing each other or fantasizing about how each one of them would take on Doctor Doom if they had the chance and all that fun stuff. So I feel like the first two movies are very much like the comics (laughs) we're reading right now where the plots weren't that great, but the characters are nailed, I think, pretty much, pretty close. Whereas this movie, the plot isn't that great and the characters aren't there either. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of makes – like they didn't punch it up enough. Like read – Okay, fine. He's younger, but that doesn't mean he can't be obtuse or comically obtuse, or you know, um, I don't know, absent-minded or something. Give him something to do besides just being like the smart guy. Yeah. Like he's not even an interesting smart guy because Doctor Doom, in a lot of ways, was smarter. He just <laughs> took his like science fair project and made it better. It is a- so he's just like this guy, and it's just kind of boring. Like there's no personality there. And Johnny, you know, uh, whatever the actor is in this movie, I can't remember, is like Michael B. Jordan. Nothing compared. Nothing compared to, like, Chris Evans' Johnny, you know, which was just, like, fun and made you laugh all the time and stuff. This guy is just, like, oh, he's sad and depressed and blah, blah, blah. And The Thing, like, no personality. How can The Thing have no personality? He's all personality. Even the first two issues where he was a jerk, that's personality, you know? He's just, like, moping around and being sad and Mm -hmm. blah. So, yeah, I just feel like they didn't punch these characters up. And that's the whole point of the Fantastic Four is is their crazy characterizations and how they interplay with one another. And instead, it's just like these people trudging through this dimly lit movie. Ugh. Like, who cares that there's no rocket or whatever? That doesn't matter to me. You can you can do this plot, but, like, you know, give me some laughs or something or some interaction. They don't even interact till the end, you know? Yeah.
2: It's like nothing going on. Yeah, there's a little yeah, bit maybe, um... between Johnny and Reed when they're building stuff and – You know, when Doom is basically writing up Johnny saying, no, I don't need your help. And Reed's like, well, actually, I could use it. And then you see a little bit of a friendship build between Reed and Johnny. I actually felt a stronger relationship between Reed and Johnny in this than between Reed and Sue or Reed and Ben. And
0: it's because they gave us two <laughs> scenes, which is more than anything else. They also, got, you got ben that scene nothing... you just talked about and you got like when Reed comes back and he, and Johnny's the only one who like hugs him and welcomes him back. Yeah. So those are the two moments where it's like, oh, they're best friends, but we're so desperate for any moments at that point that we just read into those scenes.
1: Ben also had hardly anything to say in this film until after he was turned into a monster. Yeah. Right. In, like, his voice, in, in, it... in this, in the school stuff with this, with the science lab, he's just a silent partner mm-hmm. going along with his geek friend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he doesn't show up again until the accident. He's the only smart one saying, hey, we need to be careful about this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, right.
1: But then as as uh, as the thing is when he finally actually talks. So, yeah, you know, y'all aren't helping me at this. Um, y'all aren't helping <laughs> me like this movie. Um, okay. Well, it's your job to help so, us like it. Yeah, right? <laughs> Come on. So t- like- can,
0: you, can you tell me why, as a teacher, you're so horrible to students when it comes to, like, guys who are smarter than you that doesn't make any sense to me
1: dude that gym what teacher is what is that this guy? Even
0: thing? what is the th- i mean on the one hand okay yeah you could argue that he just wants you to think in his box when you get up to the you know what am i going to do when i grow up speech and you come up with something awesome personally i think even if it's not possible this kid clearly put some thought and research into it so you should give him a damn a for that right yeah he's not just saying it and then skipping around on a jump rope he actually had examples of quantum transportation
2: and blah 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 so he like knew what he was talking about it seemed like yeah and that's real but stuff okay. by the way i did a term paper on it they have been yeah. mimicking the quantum states of things over distances since the late 1990s yeah so could, that's one thing oh, that yeah, the movie star, did right. star
0: trek tells us that all the time
2: well it's so, one thing uh, the movie did right is when reed's up there saying they have achieved these steps already all of those steps have actually been achieved already that part was real so, okay the the guy's short
0: or small-minded and, no, you have to be an NFL football player or something, blah, blah. But then in the fair, when clearly this energy bubble goes around this plane and makes the plane disappear, and he's like, that's just a stupid magic trick. He's like, even if it is, that was a pretty dang amazing magic trick for high school. I couldn't have figured that one out. So why are you still angry? It's just so weird, this guy. Yeah.
1: He's kind of a cartoon.
0: Yeah. Teachers, okay. right? Whatever.
1: So Sue is – Sue was the source of contention going into the film because Why? of the, um, the ethnicity debate. Hmm.
0: See, I thought Johnny was the source of contention.
1: It, well, okay. Well, so Johnny,
2: the casting of Michael B. Jordan came out first as did, okay. the, as Johnny, as did the casting of Franklin Richards. And then they said, Oh, I see. Or Franklin storm. Sorry. And then here's that, you know, Kate Mara, as Sue storm. And a lot of us were like, going, <laughs> wait a minute. Are they still brother and sister? Because, okay. Yeah,
1: we, we, there's always the, um, the old, stupid, time worn, oh my gosh, get over it debate of casting people in a film who are different than the ethnicity of the character drawn in the comics. Mm -hmm. Um, my position on that, and y'all can tell me if you disagree or we can just sign off and keep going, but my position on that is so many times in the comics, a character's whiteness is just a cosmetic choice because you have to pick something and white people default to white there is almost never a character whose whiteness is actually a part of their personality
0: um I well I first of all I knew this casting a long time ago and I remembered the heat a long time ago so going into this I wasn't you know it's already old news and whatever but I I personally think it really just depends on the character as to whether you can switch them around like that and I don't think anybody anyone in the Fantastic Four can't be something else right yeah. but if you're talking like say Captain America and you make him black, well now you got to go, okay, so is he nearly as popular as he is as a white guy? you know does he get a different reaction wherever he goes uh, Superman, if he's black, do people like fear him much more because you know everybody's racist and he's like a demigod or whatever but you know human Torch or Reed Richards or Perry White, like who cares? and I yeah. appreciate
1: those because because in some cases changing this the it it does change the story. It changes, right. the uh, you know, how the characters perceived. But um, so casting Johnny as an African-American actor that raised, you know, an outcry. But then casting Sue as white and blonde raised confusion. Mm-hmm. And there was a the whole debate was how could they possibly be in a family together? How could it possibly happen? And my thought going in was all they need is one line of dialogue saying she's adopted and, and it explains it. Yeah. But you don't even need that because so many families, they are so different. I teach eighth grade. I have so many kids who are in families with brothers and sisters and parents where they're only blood related to like two people in the house. Right. It's just, it's families are different now. Or she takes after her mom. Yeah. I mean, there's- Or she takes after her mom.
2: <laughs> it's not, I have no problems with changing the race of probably over 99% of fictional characters. Uh, the exceptions mm-hmm. being ones like the Black Panther or Luke Cage. Oh, right. Where right, right. the the race they have – I mean, if you've got a white supremacist, they're probably going to be white. and need to be white. Right. But right. if race is not a part of their story, then – I mean, there's a lot of characters that could even be different genders. Because if you go back to the 60s, there was like the token female on the team. Right. Uh-huh. I,
1: and her personality was to be female.
2: Yeah. I, I, right. I would have a, no problems if someone – You know, came up with an idea for a Fantastic Four that had the same tone as the comics, but made, you know, the Invisible Woman and the Human Torch sisters. Right. You you can do that. Mm -hmm. Sure. My concern with this, especially seeing how Sue is sidelined and like literally her job was to make the outfits, which (laughs) is a gender stereotypical role. Part of me is saying, okay, Michael B. Jordan – was good in Chronicle. He's worked with Josh Trank before. Trank wanted him in here. He was a good casting choice for Johnny Storm. He, I think, gave the strongest performance in the film. I've got zero problems with that whatsoever. But I'm just wondering, okay, when you're casting Sue, was Kate Mara the most impressive actress you've got? Or like, did you have the option... To cast a very capable black woman and just have the whole family, black or African-American, and just not even have to yeah. address adoption or anything. Interesting. Just, yeah, just change the ethnicity of both and then no one questions the family. Uh, then the only people griping then, are the, the fans who try to pretend that they're not racist just because the colors changed from their comic source. And then the negative in me is thinking, did they cast a white Sue
0: Storm because they didn't want a black Sue Storm to hook up with a white Reed Richards?
2: Yeah, or... If, did they honestly not think that they hooked up, but yeah. Or now I was, I'm worried about that. I'm worried about whether or not they, they thought that people would see a black star and say, yeah, she's attractive. Like, mm. I mean, it just raises so many questions because of the lack of respect that they had for the character in this script mm-hmm. it makes me wonder, okay, how far into their mindset does that lack of respect penetrate? Is that why this was the casting choice and why they decided to, to have that whole scene where we find out she was adopted as a refugee. I, I'm, I'm just worried
0: that. And then, it, and then it also makes that guy. I don't know if you guys felt the same way, but I was not super into their dad. Um, he just seemed like kind of on the one hand, kind of generic, like, Oh, here's that, like, you know, the wise old man character that we get all the time. And they always have to be ethnic too, for some reason, you know, that makes them wiser somehow. And then, on top of that, he's like seemed like this creepy dude who collected geniuses and adopted them so that they could work for him or something. I don't know. Like he kept he started calling Reed's son too. Like he was going to put that official at some point before he got killed. It or you know, and maybe he only adopted Sue because she was brilliant and could make dresses or you know outfits really well because through with her pattern recognition or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, so I don't know. I didn't like him. I didn't care for him. He didn't like make me shed a tear when his brain exploded.
2: Uh, yeah, I... Kind of weird. I have no problems with the way the actor was portraying him. The script just didn't give him enough. Right. And I did notice I he's like in the, the trailers. In
1: anyone?
2: Yeah. He, he is in the trailers for the second season of Luke Cage that went live on Netflix today that I haven't watched yet. So this could be yet another fantastic forecasting choice redemption following Chris Evans mm-hmm. and Michael mm-hmm. B. Jordan.
1: I've really <laughs> enjoyed him. I've seen three episodes of Luke Cage on this recording, and I've really enjoyed him. Should I say which character he's playing, or do you want, no, sure. want to know?
0: Sure. Well, I don't care if you spoil but Blaine,
1: do you want to know what character he's playing?
2: Uh, give me a second, then go ahead.
1: Um, he is playing Luke Cage's dad. Okay. Minister type. Um, you're safe, Blaine. Okay. You're okay now. <laughs> Thanks for, for people at home who do not know the video
2: feed. I took my headphones off for that.
1: So he's, yeah. he's a very important character to the story, a very important supporting character, and I think he's done a really good job. I'm, I, I think, think I've seen portraying. him in other
0: things. Do we know what they are? I can't remember. I'd so, I'm not saying he's a bad actor. Just for some reason, that character did not resonate. But yeah. then, I don't think any
2: of the characters resonated, maybe. That's the problem. Yeah, uh, Reg E. Cathy, I have the IMDb for him up. His top four known-for roles on the IMDb. This role is number one on the list.
0: <laughs> so, this okay. is the most
2: popular film he's been in, wow. according to their recent algorithm. He was also Freeze in The Mask, DT and Tank Girl... And Lieutenant Greg Velasquez in SWAT. So I guess this would be his fourth comic book adaptation, then, following Mask and Tank Girl.
1: Oh, Or yeah, I think those Cage are, would be the fourth. Um, yeah, I think those are both voice roles.
2: The masks, though,
0: maybe that's where I remember him from. Yeah. Was he
1: was he in the live action mask twenty years ago? Yeah,
0: yeah, he's okay. it's the, he's, the Jim Carrey one mask of the baddies, as
2: freeze. And yeah,
0: he was one of the bad guys. Okay, yeah, so it's anyway.
2: Again, I I had no problems with his character, the way he portrayed it, but yeah, he wasn't. It didn't help that when he was starting to to give his philosophy, he kept right on trucking like no one was talking. And Vic's like, oh, he's going to give the speech again. And they're like, yeah, here comes the speech again. Like, mm. okay, okay, that does serve to establish the fact that they've heard this more than once. And this is a part of his character and something he firmly believes. Uh-huh. But having our central characters completely disrespect him in that way doesn't endear him to the audience.
0: And he, he doesn't really give them anything that they latch on to later, as as one would
2: think a wise character would do yeah you know aside from repeating the same thing you're stronger oh. together than apart when he died which is that's quite, right so Reed, he did say that Yeah, Reed pulls them together by quoting that line mm-hmm. which you know galvanizes and cheers up sue and johnny which to me it's like hey i i know your dad died seconds ago and we're fighting for the fate of the world let me remind you of your dad's last words so you could focus on that guy <laughs> over there
1: <laughs> like, and it's are able to break free of all the traps that were just Suffocating them five minutes earlier, yeah. five seconds earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. So Victor, I think, was my daughter's biggest complaint about this film. She she watched the uh, the first story, Fantastic Four, with me. Fantastic Four with me, and we both agreed that before Victor gets the mask, he's actually a pretty menacing portrayal. He comes across as pretty intense. Not a nice guy. And in the story film, as soon as he puts on the mask, and for some reason also a cloak and hood, because why not, um, he becomes a lot less menacing. Because although the look of Doctor Doom in that first film is on point, every time he talks, you know, it's, Susan, you really can't go over there, okay, read, uh, stop, oh, please. He just has this high-pitched timbre voice that doesn't sound mean at all.
0: You're talking like the first verse with the nip-tuck guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay yeah. So then yes, transfer over to the new film, and she's like, "No, no, no, Dad, you don't remember the horrific thing they did with Doctor Doom." And she sends me a picture of this Doctor Doom, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's right." So I was paying attention to Doctor Doom going into this because you know we had had that conversation. I wanted and I wanted to see what they did, and I feel like this Doctor Doom origin has a lot going for it on paper. I do kind of see what they're going for. I don't know why they decided to make him not a hacker blogger. I mean obviously he was a hacker blogger because whenever storm walks in on him, he's in the middle of his hacking blocking man cave, hacking blogging man cave. <laughs> right? um, that's what he was doing. Totally. So um, in this he comes in he's anti-authoritarian. he's a bit of an anarchist because he's right. we are messing up the planet. You know, all Mm -hmm. of our government corporate stuff that drives our society is taking a big old rear end dump all over the planet Earth on a daily basis. So, you know, I can dig that that he would want to. And whenever he gets over to this other world, he is able to be in charge of it, to rule it or whatever. And whenever he comes back over, the only thing he says he wants to do is he wants to go home. They're like, no, Victor, you're a human. You got to stay here on Earth because this is where you're from. He's like, no, no, no. I want to go back over there. That's all I want to do. Now, obviously, for some reason, I either missed or they didn't say. Once he decides to go over there, it's like killing the Earth and and he has to destroy this world to make the other one powerful. I don't know. I can't remember why that happened. But at first, all he's saying is he wants to go home. Yeah. In Act 1, when they're setting up the equipment, they did
2: say if you don't do this part right, it creates a black hole that destroys the universe. Uh, that's why Sue, Sue said yeah, that. She told me right, that's why you don't want, want that it. to happen. Uh, yeah, he did okay. say before he, he snapped that it's, yeah, you guys are screwing this up and you just you don't ex- deserve to exist. You're just a danger. Okay so, okay. so Also, before even that,
0: if the planet is giving him power and he loves living there and feeling all powerful, then the collapse he did in front of the guys who show up there and find him was all staged by him because he's not hurt. Or dying, and which means he collapsed so that they could bring him back, just so he could say, "No, I want to go back home again." What was the point of all that?
2: Uh, maybe so that he could set up the black hole and destroy Earth because he's mad because Reed stole but his the, girl. The thing was there already.
0: Just kill those three guys and set it up. Why go home first? Because he had to
2: kill everybody in the lab. Uh, yeah, because yes. you, you need that action sequence to justify the budget that they were spending right. on it. Right. So, so you're
1: saying his his entire. Method of getting over to Earth was pointless. Was a, was a plot hole.
2: Pointless. What was the point? Yeah, he, he should not have been that week on. I don't know. What do we want to name that planet? What, do you think it was Latveria? Planet Zero is what they called it. True. Yeah, the-
1: it's Planet Zeria, Planet Planet Veria, Planet Zero something. Yeah, right Planet something Zero. It. Planet
2: Zero. Yeah, yeah. I, I was making a Latveria right. jokes. So, yeah, I'm thinking so, Victor um, renamed it Latveria when he was there. But anyway.
1: And then to John's point,
0: yes, he's just trying to go home, or at least that's all he says out loud. He never says on his way back, like, and once I get home, I'm going to open up a black hole and kill the That would be a good reason to stop him from getting home. But he's just like, my home's better. I want to go home. And he starts making people's brains explode, at which point I would just be like, there's the door, dude. Go ahead. Go home. But everybody tries to stop him. Yeah. And then he goes home and he decides – I'm going to open a black hole and kill your planet, but that somehow also makes all your junk and stuff fall on my planet, which to me seems like a bad plan because you don't like our planet, so why do you want planet Earth to get sucked onto planet Zero? Why not just go back to planet Zero and be happy? Uh,
2: maybe planet Zero doesn't have any good porn, so he's trying to suck some of that over. I don't know.
0: Planet Zero seemed to have nothing, so I don't know how he lived there anyway. But It was just feeding I him just energy. Him. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I-, I don't understand what... It is about Planet Zero that is so appealing to him, aside from the fact that he has power. I.
0: But what's the point of power if there's no one to, you know, hoard it over? And when and at what point did we establish that he wants power anyway, you know?
1: Well, that, that is what he said. I mean, just taking the script at face value, you're right. Why would he want to live there? Because there's no society. There's no iPads. There's no digitally downloadable comic books. There's no movies. Um, there's no, you know... intimate companions. So why would you want to be there? I don't know. But he does say that he he wants to go home and they're doing everything in their power to stop him. Mm -hmm. And it makes no sense. And the first time I watched through this, whenever he just seemed to have like Jean Grey, Phoenix powers,
0: Mm -hmm. which he does. um,
1: I was a little bit taken aback, but then I was listening to, as we're recording this episode 11 dropped today. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I was listening to that, I remember that um, if he learns how to do something, he can just do it. He did the body swap with Reed. with the ovoids? No, yeah. Huh?
0: With The ovoids?
1: Yeah, the ovoids taught him how. He could do it mentally. So, oh, you know, yeah. with his sorcery, uh, you know, elements that he has in the comics, he can just do a lot of stuff.
0: Well, if you want to headcanon that to make you feel better, that's fine. But they certainly don't explain that in the film in no. any way. No, he just no, no. has this telekinesis. Like everybody else got their stretchy power and he got telekinesis as a byproduct. And for some reason in this movie and the past movies, like you have to tie Dr. Doom in with the Fantastic Four's origin. I guess it's just faster and easier rather than him being his own guy who gets disfigured and builds armor and likes magic or whatever. I guess that's too complicated. Yeah. Well, they
1: did the disfigured thing and they did a, a lab experiment gone wrong, horribly disfiguring him for life. They did that in this film. Mm-hmm. Oh, but he was with them. Yeah, I, I mm-hmm. agree. Yeah, but, yeah. But I'm just saying, like,
2: is right.
1: and that's a weird thing is, like, you can take so many of these characters and in, in the concept of Fantastic Four and break it down into components, part and uh-huh. its component parts, and you can see those small component parts represented in the film in completely different contexts.
0: Yeah, well, I guess my um, point being that they just keep wanting to give him powers where he normally kind of just has none, or he, he's a self-made man, kind of.
2: Yeah, well, to, you know, like. Be- a, to be fair, they did that in the Ultimate Fantastic Four as well. Okay, so in, yeah. in the Ultimate reboot, it it wasn't just four of them going across. It was five, which is part yeah. of why I was so and, frustrated you know. that they left Sue behind. There's no reason they couldn't have done that here. And, and you he know, like also I said, that is, that is easier. That is easier. It's an easier explanation. And I, I'm okay with them combining it into a single event even without that just because he, Reed and Victor do have that history. I mean, that was long mm-hmm. before he was in the Fantastic Four we didn't find out till much, much later that Reed and Sue had already met at, at that point in their histories. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's. I'm okay with that because you do need that element in their past where basically Victor doesn't want to listen to Reed, and then when Reed tries to fix it, Victor doesn't. A, you know that that conflict where Reed refuses to take responsibility for his own mistakes and blames Reed for it, and that's why he's got the disfigurement. Yeah, but that this didn't feel like you know he was blaming Reed you know, for his own mistakes. This felt like Reed took the girl I wanted, who's been telling me no, 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 no for years. <sighs> but he wasn't even attacking for that. No, that 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 seemed his only gripe. And then, in fact, I, I hit, do know that, that Trank has said his plans for the third act were never filmed, and will we'll, he he says that the movie would have been a far better movie had he finished it. It. It might have been better just because this one's so inconsistent because someone else came in and redid that third act. So the issue we're talking about here is a very real issue, but it might be a side effect of that where when they were trying to cut the original ending off and put a new ending on, they had bits of setup for a different ending that didn't go anywhere this time.
0: So again, this goes back to just not punching up the characters enough. So we got little elements, lukewarm elements of like Dr. Doom kind of being jealous of Reed, even though Reed doesn't really do anything with Sue. So there's no real competition. Just this one little scene. And then we've got elements of Reed maybe being smarter than Dr. Doom, or at least making him feel insecure about his intelligence. But they don't really punch that up either. Like, Reed doesn't just come in and own the place that was previously owned by Dr. Doom. You know, nothing like that is going on. And then the end of the movie, the the driving force for Dr. Doom is neither of those things anyway and instead it's just about him wanting to destroy Earth because it's not as cool as Planet Zero, I guess. Yeah, that's... Um, so it's like it, there's just, nothing's gelling. There's no motivation for me to grab onto. There's no reason for me to like really want to see this epic battle between Doom
2: and Reed because there's no relationship. Yeah, it. this feels... Part of my issue with it is, I mean, like I said when I was summarizing it, The original buy-in that they ask you for is, we want to see these guys be the first to teleport. And we see that. Mission accomplished.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the story keeps going for another hour. Because they get to the other side. They don't have powers yet. (laughs) By the way, it takes an hour just to get to that scene. And I know that
0: because I looked. Yeah. But, yeah. So, yeah. So, so we still haven't even got to Fantastic Four for an hour. But go ahead. Yeah.
2: So, So, they get there. They're the first to teleport, they show up at Planet Zero, and they make the stupid decision to look around with no instruments when they're completely drunk rather than going home. And right. that's what starts the snowball rolling. Right. And then the, the second act is supposed to be Reed trying to find a cure for Ben without being anywhere remotely close to Ben to study what happened to Ben, even though what happened to Ben is clearly different from what happened to Reed. So I have no idea how he plans to make this science work because right. yeah, I'm not, I'm not even
1: sure. I'm not even sure who is actually looking for a cure – for Ben, I mean, he said I- I'll come back for you, but do we? Does he say that's what he was doing? Is he was looking for a cure? And by the
0: way, it cuts to a year later because yeah. I mean,
1: that's the thing. Is like we've been spending our entire time so far talking about the first act and the third act. Like the second act is this weird insertion.
2: <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. Okay, it, it, so it, it really feels like three different movies. Like each act is Fantastic, its own thing. F-
1: right. Fantastic Four number one. Read Buck's authority and takes his team they hijack a a a rocket and go into space on their own Mm -hmm. and there are no military repercussions for this in the comic because it's a 1961 seat of the pants is trying to tell a story comic book so here they do buck authority they do take the ship they do go across the to planet zero everything goes whack and they come back but they're working within the auspices of a military controlled um, think tank building. Now in the ultimate fantastic four comic, the setup is kind of the same. It is a military controlled think tank, but because it's a superhero adventure story, the military doesn't fuss or make a big deal. Whenever they do this, they just, you know, continue existing here. The military is like, this is ours. You are ours, and this is what's going to happen. And Reed just checks out. And until our discussion, which has made me feel a lot different about a lot of it, but when we started recording, I was really enjoying the film up until the moment when Reed flees the facility and we see one year later. Um, after that, it goes sideways. But, um, but I don't know. Do y'all think that were they trying to tell a, Were they trying to tell a cautionary monster tale in the context of a modern military reaction, military trying to either destroy or control story? Is is that what they were going for? Because that's kind of what I got out of it.
0: Well, I think they were definitely going for some more realism. Like, what would happen if... Someone got superpowers. Yeah, Arsenic and us all wants to think that they'd be locked up and tested and used for, you know, nefarious purposes because they can destroy tanks and stuff like that. And that is what they're doing rather than making them like, you know, this fun first family that's more popular than Tom Cruise and they just do whatever they want, which is a more interesting read, in my opinion. Read or read. R-E-A-D or R-E-E-D. Either way. Um, I do think it's a disservice, this middle act, because – As you were talking, I was thinking about it and realizing that, you know, we don't see Thing really do anything in this movie other than the one clobbering time punch at the end. Like, everything else is on TV or something, you know? Like, all these... This is all this, like, supposedly a year's worth of stuff is happening, and all we really get is Johnny kind of sitting around being on fire and Sue floating around in a bubble. And, like, people watching the Thing do these really awesome rip-tanking scenes, but on a little tiny TV, so... It's like we don't really get any fun superhero-y stuff, especially since it's not fun for any of them because they're all being kind of blackmailed into doing it. I mean, the thing is there because they promised they'd fix him, unlike Reed, who apparently just ran away for a year. And he ran away before they even said they wanted to use him for anything. He just woke up and ran away. Maybe because
2: he thought he knew that was what was going to happen, but they don't really say why. Yeah, he
1: we just fled. We don't just know leaves. why he fled. Yeah,
2: he, no. he asks a bunch of questions and nobody answers him. They give him tranquilizers instead. And then he wakes up unattended and unguarded in a major secure military facility, escapes his bonds because he hears Ben calling for help, sees what's happened to Ben, says, I'll come back for you and goes away.
1: Right. And doesn't come back for him. Yeah. And doesn't come back for him. It, and he says later that, like, I figured I was bad for you. Or, or, you know, worse that effect? But it's like, when did you decide that? Did you decide that and that's why you left? Or did you decide that, like, you thought you would come back, but then you didn't because you decided you were bad for them and they're still waiting for you to show up and you never do? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think the year later is just a big disservice to this movie. Like, it would have been better just to keep going
2: as is. Do do you think it would have been better?
0: See where it escapes to.
2: Yeah, do do you think it would have been better if they, like, split the movie in two and had one part and then did, like, five-minute short videos every Wednesday for fifty two weeks and then came back to the one year later.
1: (laughs) One year later. (laughs) Either that
2: or
0: you know, I don't know why it had to be a year later. Why not just show him escaping for a little while and then like either they catch him or he comes back on his own. That would have been just as good.
1: Yeah.
2: Or even
0: just
1: just just say later they could have told almost the exact same story with having, you know, unspecific Time passing with them, like using their powers under the control of the government, and they don't know who Reed is. But it's just like, bam, a year later, it is. Well, I mean, imagine if
0: instead of a year later, he escapes the camp. We follow him escaping the camp. He ends up in a suburb. He tries to figure out his silly new stretch powers. That would have been fun scenes. You know, we don't see any of this. Yeah, we um, we don't
2: get the bridge rescue that we got in the first Tim story film. Right. right. We we don't yeah. get the the aborted wedding and the first one. Because that's Mm -hmm. one thing I'll give Tim's story. His his films were flawed, but they both dive in so quickly. In his first Fantastic Four movie, I was watching the video. They they got their powers at the 14-minute mark. And at that point, we already knew that Reed and Sue used to be an item. Reed and Victor are now an item. Reed, Victor, and Ben have known each other since they were in college or even high school together. We know Mm -hmm. that... Uh, Johnny is an ir- irresponsible underwear model who got kicked out of NASA for crashing a flight simulator with two bunnies or, or models that he was in there with. We know well, that
1: uh, Victor, right. Victor and Sue were never on item. Well, just but just, the, just we just know. know that we
0: know that Victor wants Sue to be an item. He yeah, proposes Victor, to okay. her.
1: Victor is her boss who likes her and, and behaves unprofessionally. But okay. the point being that they <laughs> yeah.
0: all have very distinct personalities within 15 minutes. And, then and relationships
1: and history, yeah.
0: Yeah, and mm-hmm. then they're on a bridge using their powers and being cool. And like this movie, it's just like trudge, trudge, trudge. And in the end, they still have no personalities and have barely interacted.
1: Well, I think that bridge scene in the, in the story film does a good job for the film. Also, because after that, there is a lot of trudge, fun. trudge, but it's more fun, trudge uh, the plot doesn't really move very quickly after that first bridge scene they're trying to figure out what to do with their powers they're trying to figure out a solution and but they're doing f- stuff along the way that is character development or yeah. action or engaging yeah you know and if
0: they just made the government not evil in this movie, maybe it'd be better, yeah, but they had Tim Blake Nelson. Um, but like if you if you think about it, like they get their powers and the government is not necessarily nefarious and they can just hang and chill out in the same room together and learn about these powers in fun, silly scene ways and maybe even do some things for the government in fun, fantastic, awesome ways that are fun to see on the screen. And then at some point they decide, you know, in order to cure thing, I have to go back and then we find Doctor Doom and then hopefully they come up with a better reason why Doctor Doom is there and all that. Blah, blah. That would have been a much better film than this whole like – Running away and being blackmailed, and everybody's miserable all the time.
1: It would have been even isn't if you Tim wanted Isn't Tim Blake Nelson?
2: Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: I was gonna say, is, isn't Tim Blake Nelson known for doing more comedic type of stuff?
2: Um, I more as a Marvel movie fan. Characters? I know him for playing Samuel Stearns in The Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton and Liv Tyler.
0: Oh, he was, That he yeah. was,
2: um, oh, brother, where art thou? That's the funniest dang character ever, that guy. Yeah. So I, he was in this. And I, I thought you was thing, a toad. Yeah. Looking at the uh, IMDB listings that Mr. Kenny, the, the, the teacher we had at the beginning, that we were, you mm-hmm. know, he's the worst teacher you could have. I didn't recognize his face. It's Dan Castellaneta. So that the science teacher we had, or that Reed and Ben mm-hmm. had early on.
1: Yeah. He, it's Homer Simpson. yeah, he's the
2: voice of Homer Simpson yeah. and three other regular characters, Krusty and a couple others on The Simpsons. Right. So that's great. So looking at these guys going through their, their IMDb listings, the issues with this film were not the abilities of no. the performers.
0: No, no, I don't think so either. I think it's just dark and characterless. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what it comes down to. When you
2: have a weak script and a, a director who's some combination of drunken stone showing up late every day. I'm sure that didn't help at all. This (laughs) whole, Especially, yeah, this whole – I mean like I kind of joked at the
0: beginning like it's consistently bad. But definitely the last third or the last act is really where it's just like turns into complete nonsense kind of. Like that's where I – I did find myself scratching my head a lot more when Doom showed up
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: and asking those questions like why is he here? Why is he trying to go back? Why is he trying to kill Earth? Yeah. You know, all this stuff. And to be fair
2: to Trank, he was no part of that. But again, to be fair to Fox, that's because – they decided we're done dealing with you. Goodbye, and fired him. Right, right.
1: And yeah. they said, finish the film and get it out there.
2: Yeah, which is part so of who the problem. With, it? Uh, I didn't even know who was brought in as director. I think like the second unit director was brought up to do more, and it was really producers oh. saying go to this, go to this, go to this. They didn't really have a clear single vision.
1: Oh, Someone okay. get a movie out there, please. They yeah. didn't
2: get like Joss Whedon to come in and do the last part. <laughs> uh, no, but that's okay because okay. none of the actors grew mustaches either, so they didn't have to scratch those out. It was. There was no interruption. Eh,
0: but oh, no, I did hear a complaint that Mr. Reed Richards had facial hair sometimes and then it disappeared and then it'd come back again.
2: Yeah. So maybe they bro. should have CGI'd him. Yeah, well, maybe he was just feeling bloated that day and his skin stretched past the end of the hair. Right. I guess he could grow hair whenever he wants, right? Uh, depending on how much fine control he has over his powers, you think he can adjust whether the skin is above or below the end of the growing hair. Or stretch the hair. Can he stretch his hair?
1: Yeah, he can stretch his hair. Well, there you go. Well, at least in the comics he can. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, we usually try to keep these things to not too far over an hour. And we're at about the hour five, hour ten mark right now before I cut out. Um, well, so, I, I, so I'm not saying we have to wrap up or anything. but. Well, but,
0: I only have really one more thing to say that's very important to me about this movie that I've bludgeoned to death with a baseball bat. And that is I have never, ever really. I, we've talked about it. I know I have as a kid once in a while. I've never really needed the answer as to what was in the thing's trunks, like ever. But they gave it to me anyway.
1: Did they? Did I and miss I, something?
0: Yeah. And I didn't like it. Yeah, the, the thing is naked in this. He's naked and junkless.
1: Oh, I didn't even notice. Okay, yeah.
0: That is not the answer I ever thought it would be. Usually it's either A, it's rocky, or B, it's normal. Ha ha. Joke. Mm-hmm. But not C, it's non-existent. That really made me sad for him, and I've never felt more sorry for the thing in my life. Yeah.
1: Okay, yeah. Um, well, there, there we go, you know. Maybe since it happened by him getting covered with rocks anyway, maybe he just got all covered in rocks. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, but still, Yeah. it sucks. Still, this. There was rumors that they were building this to a, a big Fantastic Four X-Men crossover to try and build a bigger universe like Marvel's doing with their own stuff. And now well, Disney has out bid Comcast, so it's very, very likely that Disney will own Fox, and in 2020 they can reincorporate the X-Men and the Fantastic Four into the universe proper, which means we could finally yep. have a good Fantastic Four movie not made by Pixar.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I I came into this recording feeling pretty good about this movie. Um, Sorry. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. Um, certainly I think that I approach movies differently than a lot of people do. Um, and I think it's just because my personality and my brain functions a little bit weirdly. Um, and I can see a lot of the problems that y'all are saying with with the film. And I can agree that, okay, yeah, that could have been different. And yeah, that could have been different. And yeah, that could have been different. I think, though, that in a year or two or five, when I sit down to watch this again, if I ever do, I'll probably still enjoy a lot of that first act. But... Um, so. but The only the only other point that I really want to make in here is we we've said a few times that Sue Storm got sidelined in this film. We haven't really talked a whole lot about how that was. Um, I was excited to hear she was making the suits until I realized when you said it, that that really was her only purpose in the story was a to make the suits and to b be a source of contention between Reed and Victor. She didn't go on the trip. There were four pods for the Fantastic Four, and she didn't get one. Um, And she's of the three who stay in the base. She's the one we see the least of. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. She's the one who doesn't want
2: the powers. She says it's a disease that needs to be cured. And even in the big final fight, all she really did was turn Ben invisible but it didn't really matter because Vic heard him coming, turned around and saw the footprints, and then she made him visible again right before he punched Vic. Yeah. Just so the audience could see the punch land. Which, by the way, was Reed's amazing plan as leader, so yeah. Yeah, like th- this Reed is smart, but there's different levels of smart. For me, the 616 Reed, I don't like it oh when they try to give him an IQ because... Why, why bother? Well, yeah. to, to assign an IQ to someone... You have to measure them against an IQ test or an IQ scale. And to build that scale, you need minimum hundreds, preferably thousands of people at that intelligence level to actually fine tune it and calibrate it and come up with a number. Mm-hmm. In my mind, Reed and Vic are so far on the tail end of that bell curve, there should not be enough people on the planet to come up with that measure and actually assign an A numeric IQ, a quantitative IQ, to either Reed Richards or Victor Von Doom. They're they're both actually
1: literally say their IQ is off the charts. Yeah.
2: So Reed Reed is the smartest, or up until recently, he should have been the smartest mortal. They've introduced someone else now, Um, and Reed is smarter than Vic. But there's not enough people to compare to to assign an IQ. The Reed Richards we get in this movie is smart, but I never got the impression he's off the charts smart. I got the impression he's just. Oh no! You don't use the standard IQ test that assigns numbers anywhere between like 40 and 160, and does it fairly well between like 65 and or you know 55 and 145. Know, he's doing
1: quantum physics in grade school. Yeah, like he he's smart, but I mean quantum physics in grade school is is is, is a is a thing.
2: It is like he so he he's, he's I got the impression that he's smart or too smart for the standard IQ test, but not too smart for the Mensa IQ test. Whereas Reed should be way past okay. the end of the Mensa test. So.
1: I don't know enough about the different tests, so I'll, I'll take aware of <laughs> that one. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with your overall point, because whenever, whenever they say something like, oh, that person has an IQ of 300, that's a meaningless statement. Mm-hmm. It, it, th- 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 those sorts of things don't actually exist or are measurable in that way. Um,
2: yeah, this is all, of course, the whole discussion is assuming IQ was a meaningful number. To, right. to me, the, the, the strongest thing an IQ test will... Test score will tell you about a person is how well they do an IQ tests. <laughs> that that's really the and main. You know, yes. Reed,
0: Reed is most the most brilliant man on the earth in some ways, and the stupidest man on the earth in the other. So
2: yeah, again, uh, back I, to th- the same I think story films. I, I think you quoted yeah. it earlier. Human Torch says, "You really, You're you know, the dumbest smart yeah, the guy." Dumbest art. smart guy. <laughs> yeah. which is like the perfect and that's, description. That's the
0: perfect exactly that's the way they should always play him like he's just completely obtuse about normal things because he's too busy being smart about stuff he cares about yeah to, to me the definitive
2: um, reed richards writer was mark wade and i think part of the reason mark wade got the character is when he went to college he had a physics minor so he had a lot of interaction and exposure to professors and other students who were actually in the physics research realm and recognizes it so it's yes i mean I, i've been there at times myself you you can get so wrapped up in a problem that you lose right. track of the world around you. But too many writers treat it as callous or uncaring. It's not that. It's just no. you love solving problems, and when the problem takes over your world, whereas you know the the second Fantastic Four movie did it well, where you know Reed was distracted by the problem, so Sue turned his PDA invisible and said, "Hey, over here." I was like, "Right, you're right. I should be over there." Sorry, puts it down and changed the focus.
0: That's one element. I think another element of Reed is that uh, I think we've said this one reading the comics we've been reading is that I think sometimes he thinks everybody thinks the same way he thinks, which is absolutely not true. He's yeah. one of those guys. Yeah. And I think that's especially when standing next to Ben Grimm, who clearly would not think the way he thinks 90 percent of the time, you
2: know? Yeah. And that, that's part of I, I think the reason that his conflict with with Victor is so frustrating. There, there are some people who come from the, the information deficit perspective very well described in an episode of the You Are Not So Smart podcast over at boingboing.net, which I really enjoy. It's all about human psychology and how we, our brains trick ourselves. Uh, so the information deficit is, I am a smart person. Anyone who has all of my information will therefore draw the same conclusion as me if they are smart people. So if they don't agree with mm-hmm. me, I must know something they don't, so let me keep bombarding them with facts until they change their mind and agree with me. Exactly. And I I see some of that in Reed. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of what frustrates him with Victor is he sees Victor's potential and says, Why are you the person you've become? Why when you
0: have when you have the same intelligence I do. Yeah. And you're thinking completely different. Yeah.
2: Yeah. In a, a slightly different world, Victor Von Doom would be a member of the Fantastic Five mm-hmm. and they'd be doing that much more for the world. But that that's not coming across in any of these.
1: Well, it's probably time for us to go ahead and, um, start wrapping up and, and just, just for, for listeners who enjoy people being more positive, um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. <Not> like us. <laughs> well, and the thing is, is that like, when we came into this, this discussion, I, I figured it'd be a lot more of, you know, like back and forth on the pros and cons, but as y'all were <laughs> illustrating Kaz, I was like, huh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you totally Men- failed. Eventually, I was, huh, yeah, that's true. And it wasn't really coming up with any counterpoints to a lot of what y'all were saying. Um, at the end of the day, subjectively, art is art. And, um, even though that there are a lot of flaws in this film, there are parts that I, I, I will continue probably, probably, maybe not, but probably to enjoy. Um, and since this film is one that the internet sort of collectively enjoyed taking a dump on, that immediately like gets my gets uh-huh. my goat and gets my dander up, and I saw like, I, I for some reason I just immediately tend to stand against those kinds of reactions. Like I don't know, I don't know what it is.
2: You you like to defend the underdog.
1: I I guess I do. Yeah. I don't Especially
2: know. Especially when it's coming in unfair. I mean, I was hoping to love this when I saw it, just like I was hoping to enjoy the female led remake of Ghostbusters. Just because so that. many That's of the people hilarious. who were dumping on that were dumping on it before they could have possibly seen it because they were still filming. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that gets my goat because that is totally unfair to the finished product. And I don't know. We, we could do a whole other podcast on that one. But yeah, end of the day, I, I get it. Because it, it, it does really bother me when people dump on something that they could not have possibly seen. I mean, like there, there are some movies that I had no interest in And I've had people say, well, doesn't that look terrible? I'm like, having spent three years in a theater and comparing movies to the trailers that fit with them, I've seen so many trailers that don't represent the movie. If I haven't seen the movie yet, the worst thing I'll say about it is that the marketing department failed to convince me I should watch it. Right? And I look at some movies like Solo, the latest Star Wars movie, I feel the marketing department failed that movie. Because nothing in the trailers made me think I was going to enjoy it even half as much as I actually did sitting in that theater. This is kind of the opposite that the marketing marketing gave me more hope than the finished product did.
1: Well, the um, the next not comic special we do, Mike, is that I think it's Ant-Man and the Wasp, right?
2: It's going to have to be. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So very excited um, about
0: that because Ant-Man is the best superhero in the Marvel Universe right now. So this should be a very good movie.
1: I'll mention this again whenever we get to that uh, that show, but um, I knew Michelle Pfeiffer was in the movie. <laughs> I didn't know she was playing Janet.
0: Mm-hmm. I didn't know she was in the movie until I saw the poster when I was at
1: Incredibles 2.
0: And then I did okay, like well, a double yeah. take, like what?
1: Yeah, I've she- seen her on the posters, but she's playing Janet Van Dyne. I didn't know they had brought Janet Van I thought that was going to be like one of the plot elements they were going to leave as a mystery. Janet Van Dyne, you know, she's stuck in the microverse. And they hinted in the trailers they're doing the microverse. so um Uh, But yeah, anyway, so that's happening. We do have a guest lined up for that, so hopefully that's going to work out. Um, One of the writers for sci fi fangirls. uh, We're looking forward to having her on the show. So, um, Blaine, tell us, uh, tell the listeners where they can hear more of your podcasts and and all of your other internet things.
2: Uh, Okay, all of my. Your social security (laughs) number. Oh, we don't have those in Canada. Oh. (laughs) Not sure my social insurance number, though, either. But. Uh, yeah, all of my podcasts are released through Bureau42.com, so they're iTunes, Stitcher. So the, the ones I have going regularly now, there's a bi-weekly X-Files Retrospective podcast. We're going through that each episode at a time, about midway through season six at the time of this recording. Uh, I'm also doing a monthly podcast, Make Me Watch It, which is the one that John recently appeared in. And by recently, the most recent episode at this time of recording was the one released June 14th, 2018. So the 14th of every month, I watch a movie from my collection, usually ones I haven't seen, sometimes ones that people are bringing me back to. That was one of them, because hearing your conversation about Avengers Infinity War, when John said, yeah, I want I to defend that movie and talk about it, you know, I reached out to John because we both realized that it's been very hard to have a conversation about that particular film because the fan base is so divided into those that love it and those that hate it. There doesn't seem to be any middle ground of communication so we did that Um, and then i've got other projects coming and other projects in the past the comic focused ones i'll quickly mention there was the unofficial 75 greatest marvels countdown so that in the 75th anniversary of marvel comics since timely they had readers vote on what they thought were the 75 greatest stories they put those in a list and that was a weekly countdown through those 75 greatest stories. And uh, John was a guest on, I believe, 17 of those 75.
1: Wow. Was it that many? Yeah. So. That was that was your life for a while. All you did was read comics for that show and produce that show.
2: Yes. Because when we we're talking about the stories, some stories were like, I mean, one of them was the kid who collected Spider-Man. So here's an eight page backup in a 19-ish, 19 page comic. <laughs> uh, on the other extreme, there was the entire clone saga.
1: And the entire Age of Apocalypse is on there, wasn't
2: it? Uh, yep, the Age of Apocalypse, but none of them were the the hundred and sixty five issue size of the Clone Saga. There's okay. also Age of Apocalypse, all fifty three issues of the Claremont run on New Mutants plus annuals. So there were about seven hundred comics to read for that, and Clone. That's a lot of comics. Yeah, Clone Saga was one of the first. But yeah, it was my life for a while. But it, it's also I think my my proudest podcasting achievement. So that's when John and I first podcasted together. And I think this will not be the last time. Uh, And then... Yeah,
1: actually it is. I'm sorry, Blaine. This is just, you know, it's the last time, Blaine. Well, what are you doing next week, Michael? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not reading 700
2: comics, I'll tell you that much. (laughs) I barely get through six. Yeah, but no, no, there was that. And then I also did a comic book physics, right? It was 50 episodes teaching physics through the pages of comic books and what was going on in those pages amongst several other projects that are, they're all still available through iTunes and Stitcher. Cause I don't pull anything down. Cause why bother?
1: righty. Well, um, we are going to wrap this up and thank you everyone for listening. Um, Mike, where can they find us?
0: Oh, they can find us at make dot It's going to have all your, or all the show posts that we make. That's got, um, You know, you could listen to the episodes right there directly on the site, or you can follow the links to the RSS feeds or the various other Google or iTunes kind of things, whatever your preference is. And it has links to all our social media for Facebook, Google, and Twitter.
1: All right. And as this is coming out, there is also a regular episode up on the feed. So um, if everything goes as it should, that is going to be episode 12. And I was going to say what it's covering, but my Word file is taking too long to open. So It's I, covering you know, the
2: stuff after episode 11.
1: Right. The next thing. So I'm going to yeah. guess so, that in being um, a
2: little more specific, it's covering Marvel comics from the 1960s. Yes. Exactly. Definitely that. That
1: is, that is what we do. <laughs> All right. So thank you very much for listening, everybody. Come back next time. Yay.